Nice. Thank you very much for coming. Yeah. Um, we did have a full house about half an hour ago. Yikes. Um, but uh, everyone here is like really excited to come here. Yeah. It's going to be one of the events of the term. And um, I apologize for being late. Um, we left London at 2.30. And traffic. Tra UK traffic. It was supposed to take an hour and a half and it took three hours. So. No, no, but thank you so much. Here for we are. My apologies. Um, or London's apologies, <laughs> I guess. And um, so, yeah, so we're just like to ask some sort of uh, general questions about uh, sure. upbringing, your career, obviously. Mm -hmm. When here is like a massive fan of uh, hip-hop culture, your, your music. Nice. Um, and so, yeah, so just talk to us about your childhood and your upbringing and maybe how has that influenced your career afterwards? <sighs> That's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> um, what specifically about my childhood? So I know that your mum's been... Uh, a big inspiration for you and yeah. she's played a massive part. Um, so maybe you start from there. Hmm. I think in terms of my music, uh, my dad was probably the main, in between the two, as far as my music goes, because he was the one who was like outgoing and dancing around the house and always had music on and he would treat the steering wheel like a drum kit and would be banging on it. Um, so it was kind of always in the house. My grandfather, his dad played guitar, taught me how to play guitar. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of my introduction into music. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in one of your songs, um, you, Parks and Drive, you mentioned a lot about sort of yeah. your family and, um, Jumping right into yeah, it. Yeah, huh? yeah, Going straight Fuck into it. the deep end. Tell um, us what's fucked up with you and your dad. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, yeah, tell us about what's fucked up. About yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 for real, that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I love my dad, you know? I think... Um, wow, where do I start with this one? Gotta be careful. I will say on the new album I have coming out in the summertime, um, which I guess no one knows about till now. This is the first time you see it, guys. Yeah, um, album coming out in the summertime. I uh, go ahead, clap it up for that. Yeah. Yeah. To the ones who bailed, that are not here, that will watch this. You blew it. They missed out. So. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> um, yeah, I, I talk a lot about my childhood and sort of how, like, um, how I was raised and the environment I was raised in and, you know, my parents and sort of their fights and what they were going through, how it affected me as a child and then as an adult, you know. And I think as you get older, I'm 30 now, which is beautiful. God, I hope, I mean, no one's 30 in here, right? Okay. You'll enjoy it. Don't worry. I promise. Everyone, you don't need to be scared. But, um... Now being 30, I feel like I have all this stuff to unlearn, you know? My 20s was like, I was obsessed with like figuring shit out, right? And learning and how do I do this? How do I do this? And like honing my skills with music and whatever. And now what I've realized is like, oh, I need to unlearn a whole bunch of shit that happened from my childhood that all of us do. All of us like were raised in a you know, specific environment that's, you know, special to us. And there's some shit that's not great about it. There's some shit that is great about it. Um, but as far as, like, my dad goes, 
Um, you know, he was the one I got my charisma from, the reason why, like, I kind of have the confidence that I do. He instilled that. Um, he really did. And we've butt heads a lot just because he always felt like I should have done it his way and I would be where I'm at just sooner. And, um, you know, I get it. But for me, um, and for that song, Parkstone Drive, sorry, I go off on tangents that have nothing to do with the question. Um, as far as Parkstone, <laughs> yeah, as far as Parkstone Drive, that was, uh, that was just a night that was a big blow up. Um, I was buying my family, my mom and dad a house. That was what this night was. It was like, let's go out for dinner. I'm going to celebrate. We're all going to celebrate. I'm getting y'all a house. We had the whole house picked out. We had like the, um, the offer sheet or whatever the fuck. Um, and after dinner, we had all been like drinking, celebrating. After dinner, we go drive by the house to like, just like look at it and like, you know, be like, oh, this is about to be so awesome, right? And it just went left so quick because when it came to like signing the offer sheet or whatever the fuck, my dad was like, let's just sign it right now. Like, what are we doing? And I was like, well, I want my, like, my accountant team to look at this. You know, like that's what I pay them for, like my business management team. And he at that time took it as like, what do you don't trust me? Like we've been, we, we know what the fuck we're doing too. Like, what's the big deal? And I was like, no, like the fuck, like that's why I have my people. Like, what are you talking about? And we started, we got into like that sort of like butting, like what the fuck? And he was just offended. Um, and it's a blurry, like it's a blurry memory of the night. So I'm sure I'm leaving out parts. But um, then when we got back to like, because I was at my parents' house, living at my parents' house. When we got back to my parents' house, it's crazy how the night went from, like, celebratory to we walk in and my dad's, like, you know, pissed off, slapping the wall, like, fuck this, slamming the doors. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, you're fucking tripping. This is bullshit, you know? And um, it's just, like, he said some shit that was, like, brutal and, like, fucked up. And my mom was like, I can't believe you just said that. And... All these things just basically made me feel like, um, what's the perfect way to put it? Basically made me feel uh, like I was doing something wrong by trying to just like, like, I'm fucking, what, how old was I at the time? I had just turned 24. I, like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, you know? I still don't know what the fuck I'm doing. But, like, I just got money, and I basically just got handed, like, the reins over as, like, being the head of the family. Because right when I got money and got this life, like, my dad, like, my mom had no money. You know, my dad had lost his job. My mom hadn't been working. So I went from being just, like, you know, the kid in my friend's basement making songs to, like, all right, here you go. Like, take care of your entire family and, like, juggle all the dynamics of, like, you being the one person making money and having to, like give your dad money for gas and fucking, you know, okay, give the money to mom, give the merch money to mom, but like, don't tell dad because, you know, we need to budget it for bills and he's going to do like, whatever. I'm, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Right. So it just made me feel super like helpless and just sort of like, what the fuck? Like, this is a fucking mess. You know, this is truly a fucking mess. I don't know what's going on. And it's crazy. So that night, 
what Parkstone Drive is about. It went from celebrating me buying them a house to after that night, I think three days later or a week later, I bought my mom a house, just my mom, and I bought myself a house. And within like two weeks of that night, like my parents being married and me buying them a house, I dipped and my mom dipped and my dad was left in that house. Granted, I was still paying the bills of that house. Um, and they got a divorce and that was that. And, um, it was tough for me because I couldn't help but feel like I caused the divorce. And I talk about that on Nobody Knows where I say, um, um, what I say, your parents separated, you thought money so seems, now you think it's your fault because you enabled the breakup, but that's the power of money. Now you funding the makeup with the same tools that brought it down. You know, because I'm like, damn. I feel like the money broke up the family, right? And, like, and now I'm like supporting the breakup with the same money that broke the shit up. But obviously I know I didn't break them up. They were like, my mom would have left a long time ago if she could have, you know? She just financially couldn't. So, you know, from my mom's perspective, it's like you saved me. From my dad's perspective, I'm sure at the time it was like, fuck you. <laughs> Way to go. But we're all good now. <laughs> Ish. Yeah, right. Here we are. <laughs> right into it. Yeah, because I've heard, um, you know, I've watched lots of interviews and podcasts that you've done, and none of them have really delved that deep into No, yeah. 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 Thank you so much for that. Sure. Um, 1st of January, 2010, mm. um, you start recording yep. in Bugis's mm. uh, parents' house where they just bought new recording equipment. Yeah. Um, and then 2011, you appeared on MTV. And then after that, you mm. thought, you know, this is where, like, you became confident in yourself. Right. Like, I can make it in music. But then 2011 to 2014, nothing was really sort of clicking or, mm. or like... You were you, you you sent out eleven mixtapes, but you were still on I think like eight hundred followers. Yeah. Talk to us about that period and like, did you ever have periods of sort of self doubt where you're like, damn, like I sh like my mum's probably gonna win on that contract where you signed with her. It's like you're gonna have to go back to school. <laughs> yeah, you know, 2011 to 2014 was such a uh, beautifully curious time. Yeah. You know. And I don't know if there's like artists in here or people who, whatever, whatever path you're going down and whatever dream you're trying to get, um, embrace the time where like you really, really don't know what the fuck you're doing, you know, especially as an artist for me, it was fun because I knew nobody was watching as much as I wanted the whole world to be listening and watching. What made it so fun was that I could sort of fearlessly experiment without that like pressure of people of me knowing that people were there was millions of people listening to what I was doing you know you could do whatever you want and no one was really judging you yeah I could do whatever I want I felt very very free yeah. um more free than I do now for sure um but just like freedom like did the did the feeling of self-doubt ever like no so I'll, I'll tell you why right Self-doubt wasn't a thing back then because there was, no, there was no outside forces that were trying to get me to doubt myself. It was just me and Boogus. Granted, there was like no fans, but there was also no hate. There was no negative pushback. So it was really sheer delusion, you know? 
just you pure, need to have that confidence. Yeah, you have to have delusion, 100%. You have to be the first person that thinks that you're going to do what you're about to do, you know, regardless of what anyone else thinks. You got to believe it. So it is delusional, you know, but there was no, there was no doubt back then because it was just me and Boogus and we both believed the same thing. And, our, and that was it. It was so tight that there wasn't, there wasn't room. We didn't allow access into what we were doing. So we didn't have outside people saying, oh, that's not going to work. It was just me and Boogus in his parents' basement just making songs, you know? So, um, yeah, there was no doubt back then. It was way easier back then, to be honest, as far as that goes. So what was the turning point then? Um, turning point from when it, like, started to work? Yeah, yeah. It was just the music. A lot of artists, like, I always tell artists, and no upcoming artist wants to hear this, but 99% of the time, it's the music. That's why you're not big and successful. At the end of the day, it just comes down to who, has, who wants to listen to you. Yeah, like, my shit wasn't good enough. <laughs> like, it's, it's not that complicated. Like, but when you're an up-and-coming artist, you're like, nah, it's because, like, they don't post me. Or, like, if it's I had phone, more marketing, phone. it's yeah. like, what? So it's everyone else's, like, it's, it's everything else. It's not you. Got it. Okay. So for me, it was the, uh, and I'll say this, though, it's... it's Deeper than just the music for me, um, because once it was 2014, right? And I put out this mixtape called Pink Elephant, which had a song uh, called Goodbye on it, right? And I remember at that time really confidently feeling like the music was ready, you know? I could like sit there and tell that, you know what? The previous mixtapes, this wasn't good enough, but Goodbye, this is incredible. And still wasn't getting the results that I wanted. I was putting out these albums, you know, and dropping albums from obscurity when you're completely anonymous and you have no fans and no connections, no one gives a fuck. No one's trying to listen to an album from someone they don't know and from someone that no one else told them to listen to, yeah. you know? So it got to be the end of 2014, and I was like, you know what? Before I just put out another album on deaf ears, I think the music is ready. I think my approach is wrong. And that's when I realized, I was like, let me look at what's going on in the climate of the music business right now. And I was looking at SoundCloud, right? And I noticed that everyone's, everyone's albums, the first song on the album had the most plays. And then it would go down from there. The second song had less, the third. Now, if there was a big feature, that one would have a lot or whatever. There was one with a video. But for the most part, that was the, that was the uh, pattern. And I was like, okay. So everyone's down to listen to the first song. It's that second song that gets a little, like, tricky, you know? And so I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to put out one-song albums every week. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. Because y'all are clearly down to listen to one song. You just can't listen to a whole album. I get it. Cool. So that's how I came up with the song a week approach. Um, and so I went back to the studio. I stacked up on... 26 songs because I wanted to have half a year mapped out so that by the time I got to 26 weeks in, I knew I would have 26 more. And uh, that's what I did. Once I had 26 songs, well, I did two things. I made an album, right? And I had 26 songs ready to go that were not on the album. Because I knew, like, the end goal was always to still put out another album. I just needed to get the visibility up. I felt like I had the ability, but my visibility was lacking. So I was like, all right, how am I going to increase my visibility? I got to get people tuned in. Let me put out singles that will single-handedly get their attention, and then I'll give them the album. So I had the album ready, 
And I had these batch of songs ready to go. So I was putting out song a week, song a week, song a week. And the cool thing with having the album in the tuck was that as these weeks were going on, obviously I'm recording and the album's like ever changing. So I'm swapping shit. I'm making a song and I'm putting it on the album. I'm taking a song off the album and putting that out and doing that whole process. And it ended up paying off because as we know and as we figured out, like people can listen to one song. It's just... It's tough to get them to listen to an album and being consistent with great music is, you know, quantity and quality. And what ended up happening, the music blew up, but I was prepared for that, which is why I was able to like, in the moment of momentum, I gave my debut album, There's Really a Wolf, you know, as opposed to, I think a lot of artists miss their moment because it's like they weren't prepared to blow up. It's like, did you think this was going to happen or not? You know, I knew it was going to happen. So I was prepared with the album. So when, after you, the success of There's Really a Wolf mm-hmm. and, um, you know, you start touring the world, um, you start to, you, you've basically made it. Um, how did you find that newfound fame? Were there, like, any challenges? Or were you just riding the high and just enjoying life? Because I know you, you toured the Middle East. Yeah, I'm trying to, like, uh, see how deep I want to go. To give, like, because the album that I'm putting out goes that deep onto, like, yeah. Um, well, at the beginning, I'll say it was just, like, everything was so fast. Yeah. You know, it was just so fast. I mean, I got, I think shit started to work 23, 22, 23, let me see. Yeah, 23 turning 24 um, was when it started to work. And once it started to work, it was just, like, I'm going to. I remember where we left off, because I did want to say something that I think a lot of people, it might resonate with a lot of people. Um, Because you were asking, what was it like when it first basically took off and everything started working? I would would encourage everyone to, like, figure out what you're doing it for. Um, And for me, at the beginning, like I said, it was just everything was fast, you know? And it was awesome. It was like the rock star lifestyle. You know, everything was happening. I had fans. I was doing shows. They were crazy and money and women and all this stuff. And it was awesome. Um, But after sort of like the tornado ends, uh, I was like, hmm, I'm not happy. What the fuck is going on? I thought this was going to do it. You know, and uh, it forced me to take a really, really hard look at myself and uh, ask myself, okay, well, why am I not happy? Because I thought I got everything that I wanted, so why am I not happy? And it's like, oh, well, what were you doing it for? Oh, I was doing it to blow up. What do you mean? These are all, like, conversations I was having with myself. And um, I came to the conclusion that uh, what I truly was after, am after at all times is like deeper self-love and acceptance, you know? And plaques aren't going to do it. Money's not going to do it. Women isn't going to do it. You know, it's just, it's not. And a lot of times when you're lacking like true self-love and self-approval and self-validation, you chase after all the symbols of it, you know? So money is a symbol of validation and 
having a lot of women is a symbol of validation, you know, and plaques and fans and none of that shit even moves the needle internally, you know, if you don't really, really approve, validate and love yourself. So I would like I would, you know, in conclusion, I would say at the beginning, everything was happening so fast. I wasn't I couldn't tell if I was happy or sad or what. It was just like a fucking whirlwind. After the uh, dust settled, though, I was like, yeah, this, I'm not fulfilled. This isn't it. Yeah. You mentioned that your ultimate goal in life is happiness and to be at peace mm. specifically. Yeah. Does that sort of relate to the deeper self-love and acceptance that you talked about? Yeah, and I think, um, I think it's like a every, it's everyday battle. It's waves, you know? Some days are better than others, but... Um, I think my whole 20s, I was like chasing after something. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people in their 20s are doing. That's what a lot of people in life are doing. You're chasing after something because you're thinking that that's going to do it. Like you'll get there and then like you'll magically be like, okay, this is enough. The whole world's perfect after that. And maybe you will. Maybe you will. Like, you know, I have a very um, difficult time. I don't know how to be content. You know, it's a battle of mine. It's like a real hurdle I have to overcome because, you know, I remember when I was like 15 or 16 and my dad, uh, we were having a conversation and he said, Russ, you're going to get 15 or what do you say? You said, you're going to get 20 Grammys and be pissed. You don't have 21. I was like, yeah, you know, (laughs) because I don't know how to be any other way. And it's really fucked up. It's what it comes from is having a really, really brutal uh, inner critic and a really fucked up metric for yourself. You know, it's like having those impossible standards where nothing's good enough. And that's what my issue is. That's, well, it's one of them. There's several. That's one of them, um, which I talk more about on the album. Um, is not ever being, not ever feeling like good enough for yourself, which some people... In the hustle culture, they'll make you think that that's good, that's positive, that's ambition. Yeah, you're never satisfied. Keep going, keep going. It's like, that's fucking miserable. You know how miserable that is to, like, wake up millions of dollars and, you know, whatever whatever symbols you were chasing after, having all of them, the cars, the plaques, the women, and feeling like, this is not it. I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. I'm not satisfied. And so... If you're not self-aware enough, you'll think that, well, Russ, it's because you only have 20 plaques and not 21 plaques. I bet you if you get that next plaque, you'll feel better. And so that's what I kept doing. I just kept chasing, 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 running, running, running. But nothing was ever doing it. Um, And so now what I'm focused on is learning how to celebrate myself along the way, which I'm not good at. Um, and learning how to not, learning how to love myself into victory instead of shaming myself into victory. Yeah. Because a lot of people, me (laughs) included, especially, it's, you know, like I lost 30 pounds last year and I primarily did it via shame, not via like, oh, I love getting healthy. I love how I'm treating my body. I love that I'm putting my health first. It was really me looking in the mirror like, you fat fuck, figure this out. 
you look fucking disgusting, you know, over and over again. And it's like, I would jokingly say it in the gym because my brother's a nutritionist and personal trainer. And he's like, you can't say shit like that. And I'm like, well, fuck it. It's working, you know? And it did work. And like, you can, you can shame yourself into victory. The problem is when you do that, it won't feel like victory. It'll still feel like a loss. So the main, the main change, I guess, is the mindset change. Where it's the mindset. It's, it's, um, it's being motivated by love instead of being motivated by shame and fear. Do you think you're making progress on, on that front right now? Or do you still think? Bit by still, bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I am. Because the first step is being aware that I was doing that, you know? Um, like, for example, if you're, when you're dropping this album this summer, yeah. are you excited that it's being released because of what you're trying to convey to, the, to your listeners, to your fans? Or are you excited because you think it's dope music, so it might, you know, top the charts or whatever? No, yeah, not that one. Yeah. That's what I used to be focused on, yeah. you know? Now, granted, it was, never, it was never all one side or all the other side. There was always a mix of the love in there. It's just the, the fucking, like, self-shame of, like, you should be doing fucking better. And big fucking deal, you went platinum. You should be double platinum. And big deal, you went double. You should be triple. Um, but for the album coming out, I'm just, like, so excited for... I'm so excited to put that message out, the messages that are on the album. I'm just excited to put that out and to contribute that to my fans. I'm excited for my fans to get to know me more. And what I learned, truly what I'm obsessed with is, aside from like progress and things like that, I'm obsessed with self-expression, you know? That's why I love clothes. That's why I love tweeting. That's why I love TikTok. That's like, I just like expressing myself. That's why I like music. And I'm obsessed with... Uh, I'm very excited to express that side of me because that side of me has not been expressed yet. It's been suppressed yeah. and I didn't know it was there. I couldn't figure it out fully. And that's where like the creative side of me comes into the equation and sort of like I go into the studio and the creative side of me takes over the, you know, the steering wheel and sort of makes sense of all the other parts of me in my life. You know, it's like, it's like all the other parts of me hand the creative side of me like fucking notes. You know what I mean? And the creative side of me is like, all right, all right, all right. Yeah. I'll be back. You know, and then like make sense of everything. So I'm just excited because I haven't expressed that part of me. We have to talk about the, the controversies um, <laughs> after sure. 2017. Yeah. Um, you know, you got a lot of hate, we can say, for, for wearing that mm. T-shirt where you criticized sort of other rappers promoting and glorifying the drug, like drug culture and, you know, uh, taking pictures and then posting it and then like, as if, you know, that's a, that's a desirable thing. Mm. Um, but you got some real hate after that and you said that it was real, really, really tough. Yeah. Did you ever think that your career was on edge at that point or did you always knew that you were going to come back stronger? I don't know if I was as worried about my career as I was about myself you know it super sent me into fight or flight mode for sure like ever since all the hate and stuff it just made me more uneasy yeah you know just made me more uneasy like i'm aware of the landscape and climate of the culture you know i'm aware you know what can happen when you piss people off etc so 
it just made me like more paranoid and anxious and uneasy. Um, Did it make you like, you know, maybe take on more like being more dependent on alcohol or things like that? Or were you, was it mainly just... No, the stuff? alcohol was always there. <laughs> <laughs> the alcohol, the tequila was always there. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, the, the alcohol, it was never like, oh, I'm addicted to alcohol. It was... We just always enjoyed drinking, you know? Yeah. We just would drink in the studio, smoke weed in the studio. Man, that's just what we would do. But we would be in the studio four nights out the week. So you're drinking a lot and you're smoking a lot of weed. But chalk it up to my 20s, you know? Yeah. So obviously you're not signed to a label. And yeah. one of the most like unique things about you is the fact that you're an independent artist. You, you do everything from top to bottom just purely by yourself. Mm -hmm. You put in the work by yourself and you're not constrained by anyone else and you're not selling your sort of creativity mm -hmm. and artistic culture to, to, to anyone else. Right. Um, why do you think it's so important that artists do maintain their ownership and aren't sort of, you know, just aren't like being a slave to another company, for example? Mm -hmm. I just think art is meant to be free. I think art and free are like synonyms. But what difference, you know? what impact, like differences in impact does it have? So you being an independent artist, you having your own diamond. Yeah. And the artist signed to you, how are they different from? The you get to do what you want, when you want, how you want it. Yeah. You know, and I think it's very important for an artist to be able to express themselves how they want, when they want. You know, sometimes when you're with a label, most of the times, um, you know, if you wake up on a Monday and make a song that you just feel like is the most beautiful thing ever and you need to share it with the world and you want to express that, you can't just put that out. You got to jump through all these hoops and get all these, get this whole company in agreement, you know, and they could inevitably say, no, you're not putting that out, you know? And I just think it goes against what art is about. I just think it's about having the freedom to express yourself. Yeah. I think a lot of like what you do as well is mentoring and guiding up and coming artists and like for example Diamond but also mm -hmm. put out your song Handsome and TikTok and let people do open verses yeah. and then you, you made an official song remix right. with Caitlin. Um, do you think you have that responsibility as, as you're the shit now? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, no. I wouldn't say it's my responsibility. Because that almost makes me feel like that starts to sound like entitlement, you know? Yeah. Because from the other side, it could start making people feel like, you owe me this. Yeah. No, I don't. No, I don't. But I do think it's, I do just think it's ill to do. I think it's cool to do. I think it's nice to do. I think it's fun. And, uh, I also just pride myself on being like in tune with my fans and giving people what they want, you know? So like with the TikTok uh, handsome or open verse thing, it's like one, she killed it. Yeah. Two, everyone voted for it. So it's like, just do it. It's not that complicated. <laughs> you know, it was like, it's like it, that open verse challenge was like American Idol or The Voice. And it's like, everyone voted for her. So she won, pick her. You know, it's not, it was like, hmm, how are we going to, should we, what are we going to do? What's the marketing? It's like, just do it. It's not that, it's not that deep. It's not that deep <laughs> at all. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm curious, do you think like the rise of social media platforms like TikTok 
influence the way you write music? Do you ever like no music? Not the way I write music. Yeah. No. So it's not, you don't think like, oh, this this will be this will go viral on TikTok. So you 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 gear the way you write music towards no that. no. It's still completely just free and yeah. I think that's dangerous. Like making music for like apps is yeah. crazy. Like I think that's nuts. Yeah. Some people do it and you can have success at it, but I don't know how much longevity is in that. You know, I want my music to be timeless, you know. So talk to us about your writing process then. Like mm. in like do you just go to your basement and then start writing lyrics and then try and match it with the like just first I have a good cry session. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um yeah, I just uh, it, a couple of different variations uh, can happen. So sometimes I have inspiration for a song concept. Like in my notes app, I keep a lot of just ideas for songs. Like write a song called Losing Control. Write a song called... Did you do that Control. for Put You On Game with the Japanese song? Um, did I do that for Put You On Game? No. So Put You On Game came out a different way. Put You On Game was... Because obviously I produce too. So sometimes I'm just making beats, mm. right? With no concept of a song in mind. And I'm just making beats, and as I'm making the beat, you know, ideas and hooks and stuff hit me. Because naturally, like, making the beat, I'll just start mumbling shit. Let me put you on game. And I just go with that, you know. So either it's like I go into the studio with, okay, I want to make a song called Losing Control. Now, what does that sound like? And then I start producing the sound of that. Mm. Or I produce first and let the music sort of tell me what is supposed to be communicated. That's why I always just, I said it in a... Uh, other interview where I just feel like I deliver. I don't really feel like I create. I feel like I'm in there trying to find, you know? Like, I'm in there with my antennas up, hoping I get the fucking signal from the universe, get the information, get the, get the idea. And when I get the idea, now it's just about executing and delivering it in the most, like, concise way with the least amount of friction, you know? I want to talk a little bit more about sort of the UK hip hop culture because mm -hmm. um, a lot of uh, people sitting here in the audience are also aspiring uh, music producers. Oh yeah, how many people are like artists, producers trying to be? Come on, show of hands. Is there only one? There could be only one. No, there's several. Beautiful. Yeah. So um, one of them wants me to ask you how, because obviously there are still cultural differences between the UK and the US. Yeah. And so they want to know, like, how do you think, um, obviously, Doja by Central C, for example, was a massive success yeah. in the US. Why do you think that was the case? And do you think there are... It's a hit. Things? It sounds awesome. I love that song. <laughs> Sometimes you, it's that simple. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think there are maybe, like, more, like, basic stuff that um, UK artists could, like, look into to maybe, you know, break into the, to the US industry? Or do you think it's literally just as simple? I don't think it's... Good song. I do think it's as simple as that. Yeah. Uh, I also think branding is important, meaning like your image. I know a lot of people don't want to like, you know, buy into that, but it's the reality. You know, your image is a real thing. But think about, think about your introduction to artists nowadays. It's visual most of the time. Very rarely is it like someone's just, I mean, maybe someone's just playing you a song on the ox and you've never heard the artist, you don't know what they look like or anything, maybe. But I feel like most of the time, for me at least, when I discover a new artist, I see him first. And so your image is a real thing, you know? So I think there's a lot of artists that I've come across where 
the, they might be talented vocally, um, the beats are cool, whatever, the ideas are cool, but like branding and image, they just don't have it down. I'm just not, I'm not interested, you know? And that's obviously like a taste thing and a preference thing, but at the end of the day, uh, this goes back to sort of like expressing yourself fully. I think when you truly fully express yourself down to what you want to look like, what clothes you want to wear, when you really do that, authentically, it's going to be something that's very unique to you. And that's interesting to look at. You know, when I was 17, 18, first starting to make music and I had short hair still from high school because my parents didn't let me grow my hair out. And I didn't have any sense of fucking style because I hadn't gotten into fashion. I had no money. You can't have, how can you be into style when you have no money? And I had no tattoos. It was just, I hadn't like created my avatar yet you know it's like look at it like create a player on fucking 2k it's like that's how i look at myself you know yeah so create yourself so oh but back to um the music side of things i do think there's something to be said about this is like uh specific mm -hmm. uh, very like uh songwriter specific but i do think I come from a generation where like metaphors and similes and like crazy bars and wittiness was awesome. And I still love that. But if there's something to be said about just getting to the point and saying raw shit and also having like a little humor into your stuff. So handsomer doesn't have like witty, clever, like, whoa, where you have to like Google the bar, <laughs> you know, but it was just like raw straight to the point, And there was a little humor in there, you know, same with Doja by Central C. The opening, the way he comes out is like, this is hilarious. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's also like raw, straight to the point. And it sounds good, you know? Sounds good. And the branding and imaging is tight. So it's like, it worked, you know? Just a personal question for me. How do mm -hmm. you like consistently produce from the very beginning and then release so many good beats with good lyrics on such a consistent basis? Like... Do you Thank never you. have creativity, like writing blocks? or like Yeah, all the time, all the time. Uh, but I learned that like uh, writer's block is usually, John Mayer, I think, said it best. Maybe he didn't, and I'm just making this up. Um, but he said something along the lines of like, writer's block happens when the self-editor in you is doing too much. Like it's getting in the way, you know? You overthink it. You're overthinking. You're, you're self-editing too much. Just, just say shit. So a lot of times when I have writer's block, um, I just get on the mic and I just freestyle, just random shit, just to sort of like get the gunk out, just get the ideas out, get past the bullshit so we can get to the good stuff. Yeah. Ed Sheeran also has a great fucking analogy for this where he uh, talks about like, I don't know if y'all have heard him talk about the water faucet and how it's like the dirty water at first and then you get to the clean water. It's like the dirty water is like the shit ideas. You know, but you got to get through the shit ideas. You know, you can't sit around and just like wait for like the greatest <laughs> idea ever to come to you. You just have to. It's consistent it. and it builds over yeah. time. Yeah. Um, speaking about Ed Sheeran, how was your collab with him? Like, like Incredible. He's the greatest happen? guy. How did that come um, Yeah. I ran into him. Um, I didn't run into him. I walked up to him <laughs> <laughs> at a restaurant in New York. <laughs> Did not run into him. It was not some like, oh, wow, this is... Oh, it just happened to be... It felt divine, though, because there was a lot of little things that had to happen for us to be in the restaurant, the same restaurant that night. Mm. 
And I pay attention to shit like that. I think everything is a sign. You know, I'm like one of those for sure. Like, what? Oh, that means that I, <laughs> you know. Um, but sure enough, we're sitting down at, rest, uh, at dinner and he walks in and he's sitting at the table, sort of uh, diagonal to us with his back to our table. And I'm like, it's 9 p.m. in New York. We had to take a jet to get here in time. I was so adamant about going to this restaurant. It's hard to get into. The manager of the restaurant's like, you should go to this one instead of like the previous manager. And I'm like, no, we just want to go to this one. He's like, all right. Uh. So we get into this restaurant. And sure enough, Ed Sheeran sits down. And I'm like, man, I got to say something. <laughs> like, And in my head, I'm like, There's, I'm assuming he doesn't know who I am, you know. Um, and so I like wait for the opportune time like a psychopath, like waiting for his bodyguard to get up. <laughs> so I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> approaching Ed Sheeran like from behind with his bodyguard sitting right there I'm like fuck this is gonna go left I'm gonna get tackled into somebody's pasta but uh, so walk up to him and uh, he turns around he's sitting with his back to me he turns around looks up and he instantly pops up knows who I am like introduces me to his table like, it's the biggest independent artist in the world this is Russell. and we're sitting there. this is how he introduced me and we're sitting there talking about TuneCore and how he used to have a tune core. And I was like, what, the, what is happening? Right. And I remember telling, I think, uh, my manager sitting at the table. I remember before I walked over there, I was like, I was like, bro, what if I was like, here's the craziest scenario. What if I walk over there and he invites me to sit down and drink wine and eat pasta with him? Right. Cause my mom always instilled, what if it can turn out better than you can imagine? Yeah, yeah. I was like, that would be the most wild thing to happen. I'm thinking I'm going to go over there and I'm going to say like, yo, I'm a fan. I love your shit. Keep going. He's going to be like, thanks bro. Enjoy your meal. Fuck off. You know, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking is going to happen. Right. So anyway, he's up. We're talking about TuneCore. He's like, do you want to sit down and have wine and pasta? I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, this is turning out exactly yeah. how my mom would predict it would turn out. So sit down, and uh, we drink wine and ate pasta for what felt like three hours, but I'm sure it was 30 minutes, but the wine was strong. <laughs> it, was, it was good wine. So yeah. did, the, did the conversation for a potential pub come? Yeah, so he brought it up in the conversation. Like, this is what makes him just an incredible guy. He's Ed Sheeran, like the biggest artist in the world. So... Obviously, like, he probably knows that I would love to do a song with him. But I also don't want to be that guy. <laughs> you know? Even though I should be that guy. Yeah. Right? But I didn't want to make it feel like that was the whole reason why I came over. Because it really wasn't. It was just to, like, introduce myself. So if he didn't bring it up, you wouldn't. If he didn't bring it up, I wasn't going to bring it up. Yeah. No. Because I didn't want to... I don't like when it feels... Because, honestly, that wasn't the point of the interaction. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't want to ruin... The genuine moment but he was like he said i would absolutely absolutely love to do a tune with you <laughs> is what he said i was like okay this is fucking insane like he's off like it's crazy so he doesn't have a phone no texting no calling which is so admirable i'm trying to get there um so he gives me his email truly doesn't have a phone i thought it was a bit of bullshit at first too i was like all right he really doesn't fuck with me he's just like he's like yeah we can do a song here's my email you know um but yeah so we send uh we start sending stuff back and forth and he sent me the song are you entertained this is now even like it gets crazier and crazier ed sheeran sends me a song with his hook on it and his verse on it with an open verse I'm like, this is the biggest layup I've ever seen in my life. He's like, you can have this. 
It's like, what? Yeah, that's for real. Like, that's crazy. Like, we didn't have, like, we didn't get in the studio and have to, like, go through so many fucking ideas. He's just like, here. This did, he, did he, like, write that and then he was waiting for the right person to collaborate? I didn't ask too many questions. I was like, yeah. <laughs> just take it. <laughs> I was like, sounds awesome. I'm in. Yeah. 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 Cool. Any final uh, excuses we could get about the album or, like, um, we, want the, we want Cambridge to be... Yeah, well, the summertime is when I'm going to put it out. Um, I think we, the, the most I've talked about the album is here today, the most insight I've given. Um, I just want to, like, tell y'all, first of all, thank you for coming. Thank you for sticking around. I know I was late, even though it wasn't my fault, but I was late. Um, and I'll take responsibility for that. <laughs> um, but uh, I do want to just tell y'all that it's really, really, really important to know where you're going, definite aim, but it's really, really important to have patience with yourself. And my whole life, even now, still I battle with it. I was very impatient with myself. And that's what led to the shame, right? Because why didn't you get here faster? Why didn't you know this already? You know, I would, whenever I would learn something new, I wouldn't be excited about learning something new. I would shame myself as to how come you didn't know this already? You're so fucking dumb. Look at your past self. You thought you knew it. You're an idiot. You'd... That's how I would act, you know? And it's a really, like, unhealthy place to be with yourself. And you're not supposed to have it all figured out. I don't have it all figured out. No one has it all figured out. And you're just supposed to enjoy the journey, you know, uh, try your best to make the world that you're living in better than how you found it, contribute something, be your authentic self, but be really patient with yourself, you know? I feel like now when I talk to up-and-coming artists, I just always use up-and-coming artists as, like, the, uh, the reference point because that's who I talk to, but apply it where you see fit in your life. When I talk to up-and-coming artists, they're just so, like, down on themselves and feeling like they're not going to make it or they should have popped by now and something should have happened. And it's like, man, I thought I was going to blow up at 18, you know? And thank God I didn't. You know, like part of me, when I get into the shame thing, I'm at, I even blew up at 23. Like, I wish I blew up now because at least I know now way more shit and would navigate it way smoother, you know. But what I've learned, and fans of mine might find this wild, but I've learned humility. And not humility like, oh, I don't think I'm that great, you know, and fine, I'll just think less of myself. Humility in the sense that, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know shit. So let me just relax and be gentle with myself and understand that I know what I know right now, and I'm going to try my best with the information I have, but I'm open to learning more, and I know that I should learn more, and I'm going to learn more, and when I learn more, do better, because you know more. That doesn't mean you got to look back and be like, you should have known what you know now. Back that's, that's like... You wish you were, you're omnipotent. That's the arrogance. Feeling like you should know at 20 what you know at 30. You know, that level of just arrogance is insane and it's really unhealthy. So that's all. I hope everyone got something from this interview. I appreciate y'all. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you.